So it's Jim and Rob here, and this is our first podcast. Uh, there's been a few edits along the way. Um, we're going to try and make sure we smooth things out. Um, any thoughts, Rob, on, on this first episode? Uh, so the intro to the intro, it's been a great day recording this, but we've had to do it in three or four chunks. We now have Pop Shields that arrived via Amazon Prime now during the recording. Uh, yeah, hopefully you'll enjoy today's podcast, and please check back next month if you like what you hear. Alexa, stop, stop, stop. A podcast about how technology is changing our lives with Robert Belgrave and Jim Bowes. And I am Jim Bowes, uh, and uh, we're here recording a podcast. I'm not quite sure how we got here, uh, Robert Belgrave. Maybe you could uh, shed a bit of light on that. That's a good question, Jim. I'm also not quite sure how we've ended up with a Russian doing our jingle, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Just like this podcast. So, um... Well, we got here because we both love technology and we, over beers, were discussing the crazy world that we live in and how uh, things like Alexa are tearing it all up. So we thought, why don't we come together and have a good old rant about all the stuff that we know and love and hopefully in an accessible way so that some other people can take part in that conversation too. And of course, I suppose that links to the sort of the name of this podcast is Alexa Stop. Something that up and down the land is being screamed with uh, both delight and rage in living rooms certainly in mine I don't know about you yeah I mean I think you know inspired by uh, Amazon's uh, Echo uh, one of the things you find yourself saying more than requests for help is Alexa stop Uh, and also Alexa just setting off at random times based on um, other people talking about it yeah Um, I, I don't know about you but I find when we're watching television in the room that also has our Alexa in it occasionally she'll just chirp up and add something to the conversation which Sometimes it's useful, more often than not, it's uh, a little confusing and slightly terrifying. Alexa is definitely always listening, but um, I don't know about you, but we're finding Alexa is playing an increasingly important role in our day-to-day lives, and I think that's a really interesting change, given we've only had her for three months? Yeah, a few months. So in this country, yeah, certainly in America, um, they've had a little bit more time to get used to uh, ordering things just with voice commands. But um, Alexa's here as well. I don't know how much Alexa's going to co-present this podcast. Alexa, um, what's five plus five? The sum of five and five is ten. Great work. Great work. She's on point today. I mean, you know, you're never quite sure what you're going to get. But today we got the correct answer. So thanks for that. I suppose we should probably establish our credentials, Jim, seeing as right now we're just two random guys with a strange Russian friend. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and why you love technology? And Yeah, yeah I'd be delighted to. Um, uh, my, my name is Jim Bose. Uh, I run a digital agency called Manifesto, and I've worked in digital uh, for about 16, 17 years now. And uh, I've done a lot of work around uh, how technology impacts people's lives or people trying to make things go online. Uh, often when they're things that people didn't really want to go online or weren't ready for yet, but sometimes when people are like absolutely screaming for it. And then, so I did uh, a long time ago now, the first time that school admissions ever went online. And I found that totally fascinating because I was working out of a a random office somewhere near Maidenhead and somehow parents desperate to get their children into a school uh, found out the number for me at the web development place uh, on the hope that I might be able to get their children into the first choice school. And could you? Well, I suppose technically I could have walked over to one of the developers who could have altered the XML uh, and changed the places. But I imagine when the data went back to the local education authority, they'd have found out and we'd have been sacked. So no, I couldn't really affect it. And um, so I guess I've always like worked at that intersection. And we were talking about this um, uh, earlier where I, I've spent a, a good chunk of my time explaining technology to 
organizations, people and businesses and how it might impact them and how it might change things and how it might help them. And I suppose what I'm really passionate about is um, how technology can help people. But we're at a time uh, where there's a lot of news and a lot of discussion about how technology perhaps will harm us, might take away lots of our jobs and things like that. And I think I'm excited to talk about that. Well, me too. So um, Tell us about you. Yeah, a bit about me. So I, on my LinkedIn, it says, Robert was a child of the early internet, which is a very PR-friendly way of putting it, but I guess that's a pretty good place to start. So I wasn't very academic, massively dyslexic, realised at quite a young age that I was infatuated by the internet and everything that it would bring. I've watched technology evolve at an alarming rate, and for me personally, that's something that I find exciting and invigorating, but I have lots of friends and family who maybe are a little bit intimidated by that. So like you, I've spent a lot of time in my life translating technology. And by day, I do that for my business, Wildhive, which is an infrastructure business. Essentially, we help agencies deliver great work by getting the all-important technology underneath right, which uh, to those of you not in the agency world or the hosting and infrastructure world might sound like nonsense. Previously, I was a solution architect. People used to ask me which houses I'd built. It didn't quite work like that. But needless to say, like you, I've spent a lot of my time getting passionate about technology and translating that into relatable terms for people who maybe don't work in technology like you and I do. So when we talked about putting this together, I thought the opportunity to discuss some of the weird and wonderful stories that we're seeing day in, day out in Broadsheet News and you know the major news outlets of the world uh, would be great fun and hopefully be interesting to some of our listeners as well. Let's hope we get some. Um, and so, uh, yeah, one of the things that I suppose is interesting is how we met. And I think uh, what happened was, uh, to my memory, that, that some people thought we'd get on and sat us next to each other at a couple of dinners we were both at. That's right. And uh, we never did any business together, funnily enough, but we definitely got on and became friends. And uh, I guess we get the chance to meet up once every few months. So this podcast is a good excuse for us to do a bit more of that as well. Uh, so I'm sure we will work together. So it's, we, we, you know, we, I, I, I run an agency, um, and so we're, we're our exact target market. But somehow we managed to make it not happen. All in good time. All in good time. You, your, your technical people are clearly too good at what they do, unlike most of your competition. But uh, yeah, so maybe maybe it's a good opportunity then to talk a little bit about format. So uh, this obviously is a bit of a work in progress, as you say. Hopefully, some people will listen. In which case, we'll we'll refine it and, and improve it over the months ahead. So, yeah, uh, I I guess it would be good to tell our listeners about what we plan to do. So uh, maybe you give us a bit of insight on the news segment that we're going to start with. Yeah, um, so uh, absolutely. We've got like a rough format that we're going to roll with. And one of the things that we think is really fascinating is technology is in the news constantly, more and more. um, And it's now um, sort of transcending just being for techies. It's about whether elections are rigged. It's about whether our jobs are going to be replaced. Um, And there's a whole range of topics, sort of both positive and negative, that um, we're really keen to drill into to and and we're going to kick that off and talk about a couple I suppose one that's sort of close to your world is recently the Amazon um, web services AWS uh, a massive hosting uh, provider or infrastructure as a service provider um, have had an outage on one of their key solutions S3 and that's had a massive impact for things that touch people's lives every day I guess what are your thoughts on this and should we expect Amazon to keep these things running or should we architect the things that connect to them better uh, so that they don't all fall over and maybe you could talk about some of the examples of things that stopped working yeah of course so for those of you that didn't see the story Half the internet, as it was purported, was down last week when Amazon had an outage with one of their products. So Amazon, uh, the company that 
Make Alexa, the title of this podcast, but also I'm known for delivering us books and DVDs and clothes and frankly just about anything you want these days. I mean, to be fair, uh, just as part of getting this show on air, they're delivering us some cables uh, which are stuck somewhere in Mile End. We're coming to you from London, uh, which uh, Mile End is an area of uh, an area of London, fairly grotty place. So that's where the Amazon Prime man is stuck at this moment. In, indeed he is. In fact, looking to my laptop on my right, I can see that he is now very nearby with our pop shield and spare cable but uh yeah talking about amazon when they're not delivering cables to us they also run a a platform called amazon web services which is used by some of the biggest websites on the internet uh lots of mobile applications and and things that we rely on every day so for example every time any of you watch netflix at home you're you are consuming amazon's web service platform uh, unbeknown to you because netflix runs exclusively on that platform as do a number of other sites so What was interesting about this outage was not actually the people who were impacted by Amazon themselves, because Amazon's main retail site was working and actually they'd engineered around this problem, but lots of businesses that had built their service on AWS, Amazon Web Services, were down. And that led to uproar online, particularly around some key services, which I thought might be fun to talk about. So um, there's a business called IFTT, If This Then That, which is a kind of an application that you can use to stitch things together. It's like a rules engine, isn't it? Yeah, so you could say to it, every time I take a photo, apply this filter to it and upload it onto Instagram with the, cat, with the hashtag cats, for example. Um, Instant engagement. Immediate win. One thing that you'll learn from this podcast, if you didn't already know, is that cats are the king of the internet, uh, and particularly when it comes to social media engagement. But... Uh, what a lot of people do with that service is they use it to stitch their houses together with all of these amazing smart home or internet of things devices which we hear so much about these days so Alexa is is one of those things and is actually being used as the kind of voice input to a lot of these things too but the way in which that works is it needs to go through some sort of service that translates from you or I talking to Alexa with our voice to a signal that can turn a light switch on or off or turn on your internet-connected kettle in the morning or whatever it is you're trying to do. So when this service was down because of Amazon's outage, people were sitting in their houses unable to turn their lights on. Welcome to the future, right? It's, It's an amazing place. There is no switch on the wall. And when you need to reboot your house, you might not be able to open your door or open your fridge or turn your oven on or whatever it might be. So I thought that was kind of an interesting story and a a good kind of sense check for the world we now live in. So let's just pick up on on the personal element of that there. Um, How much of your home is automated? Because I'm always fascinated with people that work in technology. How much of this technology do they really adopt in their own life? That's a good question. So I'm, I'm a little bit behind the curve on this, but only because I rent my property. So I can, maybe a better answer to give you would be what would I like my house to look like and maybe I could tell you what my business partner's houses look like where who, where they do own their house I think lighting is the first thing that is quite compelling I think the um, the Philips Hue range other bulbs are available seems to be the market leader in that space and what I've seen done with them is quite impressive uh, you can do scenes which is essentially mood lighting which honestly we've all lived without and we probably don't need but is a nice addition to our homes but I think more interestingly is some of the innovative stuff you could do so uh, my business partner at Wirehub is called Simon Green who's our CTO he has a uh, I now have named him I feel awkward about saying it he has a, a wife who like many of us likes to get up in the middle of the light and, and nip to the loop and um, the problem with that is that 
if you want to turn the light on, you disturb your partner. If, like me, your light in your bathroom is attached to your fan, you don't want your fan whirring or waking up your daughter uh, who, who is asleep at night in the next room. So what Simon did was using this technology, he created a sort of runway strip of lights from their bedroom to the bathroom. Um, and using the flexibility of the system, he was able to put a tiny little button on her bedside table that she can press that at a very low level illuminates just her bedside light, not his one, and the hall light and the bathroom light at 20% of their maximum capacity. So you're not kind of blinded by that horrendous light in the, you know, when, you've, when you've been in the dark and you turn the light on. Um, so that might seem like a really small thing, but it's that flexibility that it enables. And I think that it's really interesting to see the way in which people are taking these pieces of technology and, and bringing them into their everyday lives. Yeah, I suppose it's a, you know, it's a really important example where that's, as you say, so it's actually improving someone's life, making it better. And I have a personal example of where that technology would have made my life better. So about uh, six months ago now, I broke my toe playing five-a-side football uh, in the Manifesto five-a-side uh, league that we do on Tuesdays. And um, about uh, two months into my recovery, uh, I got up in the night to go to the bathroom and uh, on the way back to bed, I kicked a stool with my broken toe. Um, and um, made it much worse. And so I could have saved that pain uh, if I had a, a, a lit runway. I feel I may need to have married your CTO uh, to have well, achieved that. Clearly but... where you've gone wrong. Uh, <laughs> as, we're, as we're naming everybody, I think it's important to stress that uh, your lovely partner, Louise, who I can see through a glass wall at this very moment, working hard still in your office, uh, is definitely a better choice than Simon, as much as I love She's him. not set up any mood lighting when I need to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, though. So, you know, pros and cons, I suppose. Indeed. So uh, where do we go next? So anyway, I thought that was an interesting kind of take on how technology is really changing people's lives and it's coming home. And, you know, lighting is where it seems to be starting for a lot of people. But I think that very soon we will be in a position where our entire houses are reliant upon these services from the locks in our front doors to, you know, the things that control our bedrooms, temperature, humidity, everything, right? Everything in between, our ability to use hot water, our heating, all of these things are going to rely upon the internet ultimately. And what we're really doing when we use these online services in our homes is we're putting a lot of trust in people. So in this case, in, in IFTT's ability to make a technology product that was suitable to control our lights. And I suppose, you know, a lot of these products and services that people are adopting and bringing into the core of their lives are actually themselves only startups that are often not yet profitable themselves. They're backed by venture capital and they could, you know, to be honest, disappear at pretty much any moment, a lot of them. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, choose your appliances carefully, I suppose would be my recommendation. And look, right now, that stuff is all new and innovative and it's kind of you're an early adopter if you use it and I think people that use those services kind of expect that you know people like you and I who put this stuff in our homes are kind of expecting it to break right but you know what will make that stuff truly mainstream what will put it in our grandmother's houses will be when it becomes more robust and stable and when there are fail safes that mean that we are always going to be able to turn our lights on and maybe you know maybe we'll always have light switches in our houses right as well maybe we'll end up with that compromise but so i'll tell you what i've done so there's obviously quite a lot of stories recently about how um, some of the protocols that get used some of this technology can be quite easily hacked there's been various stories about that yeah um so my my heating is controlled by um 
a proprietary uh, radio frequency. Okay. Uh, so it can't be accessed by sort of normal internet devices. Um, and, and, and I sort of... So I lose the benefit of the openness because I can't make it work with lots of other things. But, um, but I suppose I consider it to be substantially more secure. What's your what's your view on the the sort of openness versus um, versus uh, security? I suppose. Well, look, I mean, security is a, a big part of it as well. There's a, a TV show, funnily enough, on Amazon uh, in the UK called Mr. Robot, which is all about this uh, hacking group and the way in which they sort of take on society I'm trying not to spoil it for those that might want to go and watch it but it's really interesting and, and it's it's kind of all about cybersecurity and hacking and this very topic and in that series there is an episode where this woman's in this kind of super modern home lighting heat locks all the, all you know all the foreseeable things that might be controlled in a house already done you know this is kind of some super modern place and these hackers want to take ownership of this house because they want a kind of base so what they do is they hack in and they make the place just go crazy which ultimately leads to this very affluent woman saying oh this is terrible ringing up the service provider company and, and then saying okay well we'll come and fix it and off she goes and she leaves the place dormant for a week so um you know that's one example of security and hacking kind of getting someone into your home but i think that we've got we need to be mindful of that as this stuff becomes more mainstream and you know, it's one thing to break a window, it's quite another to run a command on your phone and just let yourself in the front door. So, yeah, there's definitely a, a lot going on there as well. So there's a story that's been going around for a little while now about uh, kind of like Wikipedia-related, really, and Wikimedia, uh, where bots are uh, going hell for leather editing against each other. Yeah, so I thought this was a really interesting piece that The Guardian had on Wikipedia and a number of different bots that were designed to improve the quality of the content on Wikipedia that were essentially fighting with each other on a daily basis. And that this has been going on for years. And actually, if you look at the numbers of edits that these bots have have taken, have actioned, it massively exceeds the numbers of edits that humans have made. And so digging into this story a little bit more, you know, you would assume that maybe this was nefarious, right? That someone's created a bot to make sure that Trump's page is very pro-Trump or to make sure that their favorite football team is cast in the best light or something people get passionate about, right? But actually, all of these bots are created to refine and improve the content, but the problem is they're disconnected. There's no consciousness between them, right? So one bot has been designed to improve grammar. Another has been designed to improve the location data on, about a place, for example, and the two not being aware of each other means that the ba- they're constantly backwards and forwards sort of battling. Um, so yeah, I thought that was just kind of a really interesting sort of summary of where we're going to find ourselves in, in this new age we live in with bots taking over and all this technology, you know, when these systems aren't aware of each other. And I suppose what, like, what's, I mean, how much waste is being caused by this? How much energy and power and hosting and bandwidth is being taken up? What is the contribution to climate change of bots just fighting each other? Well, that's a very good question and one that I'm glad we can't answer, Jim. But um... I want, no, I literally, I want an answer <laughs> right now. Well, uh, you know, my only comment... <laughs> it's, no, it's fine. Uh, we should probably ask Taha Yasseri, who's quoted in the article from the Oxford Internet Institute, who says that the fights between bots can be far more persistent than the ones we see between people, and that humans usually cool down after a few days, but bots might continue for years. And I suppose that there's an interesting thing here, um, also in the news recently, is uh, Bill Gates has been speaking about um, taxation of bots and robots, but, um, I mean, this is talked about as a, as a sort of piece of um, futurism, 
but you know this article proves that, that bots are in action now robots have helped make cars for ages should we be retrospectively taxing the bots and robots that have been in action is bill gates really saying what he believes or is he just trying to start a conversation yeah so moving swiftly from bot on bot action to human on bot in uh, in bill's case so yeah look i think bill is without a doubt trying to start a debate you know i think the guy is a leader of our time and is you know a man of huge intelligence and intellect and i think what he's trying to do is start the narrative right like start to talk about the fact that maybe innovation isn't always a good thing but you know i think actually to his fairly simplistic comment about maybe we should tax robots in you know and companies that use them to try and slow down innovation and to try and help uh, provide support for the humans who are left unemployed as a result of that change. You know, the danger is that we we curb really positive innovation in areas such as healthcare, where um, you know those effects might, for example, hold back innovative treatment in in uh, you know third world countries, or um, you know restrict research and development perhaps that would otherwise have taken place that might help with rare disease and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I appreciate Bill for starting the debate, but I think it's a it's a complicated issue and something that we need to really think long and hard about as a as a race about you know what what do we want to do. So we're saying that this one was a conversation starter, and Bill Gates is sitting somewhere going, "I have achieved my goal." Rob and Jim are talking about it, and you know now I can I can exist as a happy man that this conversation has gone as far as it could possibly could. I, I think that must absolutely be why he uh, he gave those comments. But um, you know, there's been other things like that as well. I mean, Elon Musk recently said that if we continue on this direction towards AI, that life won't be worth living, and you know maybe that's one for next month. But um, lots of that sort of stuff going on at the moment in, in the world, and it's certainly. Um, good headline follower. And I guess if we're not sure if we're going to tax bots and robots, but we are sure we like to tax humans, what if you're a cyborg? Well, there we go. So this brings us to a a feature we're going to do every month about uh, taking a piece of technology from the hype curve. And and this month we've got, well, yeah, cyborg technology, I suppose. So uh, it's a little bit tenuous, right? By pushing it to cyborg, does that count? I'm not convinced. Tell let's, us about this. What is it? Well, let's see what our listeners think. So um, I was consuming media on the train, as, I, as many of us do these days, and I, I stumbled upon this piece on Twitter. And it was an unboxing photo from a friend's feed, and he purchased a product I'd never heard of before, and it looked really, really bizarre. So I dug in a little deeper, and it's a, a company called Cyborg Nest, based in London. So immediately my, my interest is peaked there with a name like that. And... Their first product uh, called the North Sense that they've just released, which is a small piece of hardware designed to make you a cyborg. Yeah. And their founder, Neil, or the co-founder, Neil, apparently is one of the first humans recognised by a government as a cyborg, having fitted one of these pieces of kit to his body. So what does what, it do? What does it do? Yeah. What does, what we does have the same do, question at the same time. What does it do? It's a very good question. Let me tell you. So it's a small box... Um, you know, about the size of half of a phone, a little sort of little plastic box that you attach to your torso in kind of the middle of the chest. And what this box does is every single time your body faces true north, it releases a little vibrating pulse like the text message alert on a phone, you, for example. And uh, the idea is that over time, your brain will adapt to sort of include that additional sense, that that spatial awareness sense into its decision-making process to the point where it will become completely invisible to you and you won't even notice it's happening. But 
um, the guys at Cyborg Nest, and you know, do go and have a read about this on their site. They'll explain it much better than I can. But they they drew inspiration from the animal world, where certain animals have this same sense, where they have a kind of spatial awareness based on their, on an inbuilt compass. And what they think is that over time, the brain will use this extra sense to create a much more sort of a strengthened relationship with spatial awareness and allowing us to have memories that will include space in a way that today humans just simply can't do. So a true sixth sense and, and what a wacky idea. I suppose, you know, where, where could this go? I mean, like, is this going to lead to people being able to buy all kinds of implants that help train their brain to release all sorts of chemicals at different times based on things that they do. When you tap dance down the street and do a little kick of your heels at the end of it, will you get a dopamine rush because a little signal got sent to your brain and your left toe vibrates and you uh, leave happy? Well, uh, I know you're penchant for tap dancing, Jim, so I, that would be a, a great change for you. But um, yeah, I, I think the, you know, the addition of technology to the body is something that we are definitely gonna see happen more and more. Um, I know some really smart people who think that the next phase of, of evolution is going to include technology and how it integrates with our body. Uh, there's a, a famously a, one of the lecturers at Reading University who are kind of one of the, foref at the forefront of cybernetics in the UK has fitted a number of small pieces of technology into his body that allow him to monitor things like his blood sugar level and blood alcohol on an app on his phone in real time. Uh, he can also open RFID, you know, swipe card doors with his hand, which, you know, if you're a fresher at Reading and you watch your robotics professor sort of use the force at the nearest door and it swings open, I'm sure is amazing. But uh, it's happening now, right? And, and companies like Cyborg Nest, who is a startup, a London-based startup with a relatively small amount of money, have been able to build hardware that people are buying online and attaching to their bodies. I suppose the question I'd ask is, does it work and will it tell you true north when Amazon S3 is down? Well, uh, that's a very good question and, and, and links nicely into the stuff we were discussing before. But, um, well, to those that are interested, why don't you get in touch with them and find out? And a couple more things that have been interesting this month. Um, there was a bot a little while ago that helped people get off their parking tickets. I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah, indeed. And I hear it recently was came up in some charity sector stuff as well, which I know is something you do a lot of at Manifesto. Did you bump into that story? Yeah, so um, I had a look at this one um, and um, I suppose really this one is now helping uh, refugees claim asylum. So using a very simple, described by its founder as uh, the first sort of bot lawyer uh, is, huh. is how it's described. Uh, nice. And, and it, I suppose it's, you know, it's specific, you know, in its in the things it can help with. Uh, it's the equivalent of where there's blame, there's a claim uh, and could soon be put to those sorts of tasks. Wow. And so, and now they're using it to help refugees sort of through their, their difficulties and to find asylum and so I assume it helps them kind of go through all the necessary legal steps in whichever country they might find themselves in and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I and mean, a little bit later on, we've got a conversation coming up uh, about uh, bots. We've got Sid in as our guest who runs uh, the bot platform. And I think, you know, um, what, what we see here is where, where there's a process that can be e sort of easily understood programmatically. A bot can really, really help with that. It gets a bit more tricky when uh, it really is just a conversation or a chat. Yeah, and I mean, well... Um, We'll bring Sid in shortly and, and get him on mic. But for me, that's the thing I'm really interested to find out more about from him and something that I think we should all be, be mindful of in this new world of bots and AI and all this other stuff is, you know, what are the pieces of technology we like interacting with 
And are they actually intelligent or are they just really well-crafted decision trees that sort of steer us towards the information that they're inevitably, you know, wanting to give us? And talking of um, bots and decision trees, uh, there there are times when people just get a little bit confused. The humans get confused about whether something is a bot or isn't a bot. And I think you've got an example from this month where that happened in your own life. Indeed. So, um, yeah, before we bring Sid in, one more little little anecdote from from this week. So um, there are two scheduling bots that a lot of people in the business world use. And particularly in, in our sector in digital. And one's called Amy, which is x.ai, if you want to go and have a look at it. And the other one's called Clara from Clara Labs. Uh, and both of them are bots designed entirely to arrange meetings. So for typically for senior people in businesses who arrange a lot of meetings uh, and might previously have had a, a human PA, they sign up for one of these services and kind of set them loose on their email. And by including them in calendar invitations for meetings, they sort of chip in and start having conversations with people. And um, I got sent a screenshot uh, from one of our non-exec directors of uh, his PA, who is still a human, interacting with one of these uh, robotic PAs and and sort of questioning whether maybe they were Scandinavian because they seemed to be very short and blunt and they didn't seem to be listening to her requests and, and, and but wasn't actually sure. And personally, I've had a few interactions with these things And even though I know they're a bot, I struggle not to say please and thank you. And it's funny how, um, you know, as these pieces of technology move into the real world, uh, whether it's Alexa or one of these scheduling bots, we struggle not to humanize them somehow and to interact with them in that way. And, you know, studies showed, for example, that the reason, one of the reasons that Alexa's done so well is because it had a very human name. And so I think that's really interesting, whereas you look at Google's approach and they haven't kind of gone that way. And a lot of people think that might be their downfall and they're going to have to circle back on that. So I I look forward to hearing some stories from listeners about your first interaction with the scheduling bot and and whether you had to say thank you or not. Well, yeah, to make sure that we're clear on this and we keep our politeness in check, please, Anne, and thank you for that anecdote. So we're welcoming to the podcast our guest, our inaugural guest, nonetheless, our inaugural guest. um, And uh, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hey, I'm Sid. I'm one of the co-founders of a company called The Bot Platform. Uh, I have been in working in technology now for far too long. I think 16 years I worked out the other day. Um, from a range of startups, ad agencies, big tech companies. I've done a lot of stuff with the music industry. Uh, worked with some amazing people with them. Um, yeah. And uh, I think maybe that's a good moment for me to give a little bit of background on how Sid and I met. So um, Sid and I met at a hack day, right? At Mm -hmm. Priscilla HQ in London many moons ago. And that weekend, uh, I saw Sid first give a talk about Twilio, which is an amazing product for building kind of voice and text message stuff, if you you need something like that. Um, And he was very impressive, he did a live programming demo, and I was like, okay, this is my kind of guy. But it wasn't until I saw the project he actually built that I knew we'd be friends for a long time, which was, uh, well, Using fish to make music. Musical fish, classically trained. It was Tupac and Biggie. Uh, there were two goldfish that swam around a fish tank and depending on where they were, played different music. Um, we actually then donated them to the Mozilla office and at one point Biggie got um, kidnapped or fish napped actually. And, um, were these real fish? Yeah, yeah real actual goldfish. Um, they and say you were tracking their movements? Correct. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, and the, the tunes they made were both relaxing and, and melodic at the same time. It was, it was, it was a joy to behold. You could have introduced uh, Snoop into the equation uh, and, and he'd have like played on anything at any time for anyone. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Indeed. So, um, so yeah, so Sid and I met over, uh, our eyes met across the room as I listened to, uh, to Sid's fish. She's very romantic. Bonking away. Um, and I'm glad to say I consider him a friend. But um, when we were putting this podcast together, I thought, you know, given what we're talking about, who better to have than, than Sid, who, you know, despite his uh, incredible agency background, has recently launched a new business, which I thought was really pertinent to what we're talking about. So maybe tell us a bit about the business you recently launched and, and what you're doing with it. Uh, yeah, so that's the bot platform. So um, ultimately, we've been building messenger bots for the last, coming up to a year now. We launched one of the first ones on there. Um, and it went down really, really well. And so actually seeing the numbers that come through um, decided that we wanted to knuckle down and concentrate on this. So since then, we've been uh, yeah working full time on it and I've kind of put the uh, agency stuff to the side, um, which has been interesting and sad, but at the same time exciting. Sure, but I think that speaks to the opportunity here, right, about how bots are changing the world and how you saw you know, very quickly in the few that you did almost as a side project how successful they were. Um, so I know that, uh, and for, for our listeners, Sid's product uh, is a, a tool that allows you to create bots for the Facebook Messenger platform, which is one of the most widely used kind of interactive chat systems, I guess, that is looking like it'll be a leader in, in the kind of bot evolution. Is, I mean, you add to that? Yeah, messengers used by over a billion people. I mean, that's more than the number of people that have got iPhones. Um, it's more than the number of iPhones in usage anyway. And uh, it, it is vast. And one of our, our bots had 600,000 people use it within the first few months. I mean, it's kind of... And that was for a, a musician. And if you try and compare that to an app, like... A successful app really nowadays might get, like a, a vastly successful app might get 100,000 users. And do you think apps in places like China that, that have WeChat kind of thing going on where it's kind of like an app within an app world, do you see us moving more in a direction in sort of Europe uh, to sort of mimic that where you sort of install features and services within a sort of messenger-like experience? Yeah, exactly that. So I'd say that one of the issues, and this is a big issue that we've had um, over here in the last kind of nine months is that people are calling them by the wrong thing. So if we look at WeChat, so WeChat has got a thing called public accounts. Public accounts are what we're calling bots. If you look at Line, which is also another one with, with what we're calling bots, they have another one. They have things called official accounts. Mm-hmm. No one calls them bots except for Kick and Messenger. Now, the press and the digital space have all been calling them chatbots. Now, none of the platforms call them chatbots. It's only the press that call them chatbots, which has unfortunately made people think that they can do something that they can't. Which, which is conversation, right? Like that, that human decision-making and that interactive conversation, which actually is what they're typically very bad at. Right, right. they are terrible at it. And I mean, like there's been the whole AI chatbot thing. Yeah. The thing that I find hilarious, you will never hit, we do not make chatbots. We make bots and we make bots that are successful. The question I get a lot is, why have I not seen any good AI chatbots? It's because there aren't any good but AI chatbots. It's on our list as it happens, and we're going to ask you that in a minute. So let's move to that. So yeah, talk about what you've seen that bots do well, and, and well, it sounds like you've never seen a, a, chat, a chatbot that really does a good job of it. No, no, incorrect. So there's a difference between good and successful. Okay. So if you are looking for a good AI chatbot, I'll agree. If you are looking for a successful bot that performs a task successfully and lets people perform tasks easily um, 
then like I can reel off a long list of successful bots. We've got one bot that is performing over 9,000 times better than their email marketing list. We've got one bot that is, no, that's, that's not true. 3,000%, sorry. We've, the 9,000% is actually um, one bot compared to their website. So one of our customers has got a simple task, like it's for voting. Now you can vote on their website or you can vote via their bot. On their website, they're getting an absolute fraction of votes compared to what they're getting through their bot. So that there actually is a huge success. Sure, and as you say, that's you know by a comparative measure to a website for something as simple as voting, huge improvement in uh, in cut through right and right. engagement. So, um, I mean, and it, I don't know, could you? Have you personally been on the receiving end of any experiences that have been driven by bots that maybe you haven't created or built yourself that you've really enjoyed? Maybe to give some examples of those. I love the Guardian's bot. Okay. So the, the Guardian's bot, you cannot chat to it. You can't say hi, you can't say how are you, but every single morning I get the news. I get the news sent to me. I don't have to open up a, a, the Guardian app. It's there, I get a push notification because it, it's the thing that comes to me first thing in the morning after my alarm goes off. I then read the five top stories. And, and so, that's, so that's a great example of something that is definitely not a chat bot. Right. For our listeners, they'll think, that doesn't sound like a bot, so maybe you could give us a bit of insight into why that why that is a bot. Because I, I, you and I both know it is, right? But I think a lot of people would say, well, that just sounds like a website sending you news or an app or whatever. So, A bot's an automated process, right? And it's just that Messenger is the platform that this bot is on. I mean, we've had bots for, for years across everything. Like, you could describe... Well, some people used to describe them as simply scripts, which do stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we had IRC bots that they didn't, you couldn't chat with them. I suppose, like, for, for years sort of working on sort of campaigns, and uh, we've had conversations with people about, uh, let's have a conversation with people where they're hanging out. And, and yeah. maybe it's sort of an extension of that that becomes a bit more useful. Yeah, they're all there on Messenger. Like, they are using it. Over a billion people use it. And yet, we seem to think that we should be trying to make things that people chat with. No one wants to chat with a bot. Like, you don't want to sit there and have a conversation with a machine. You want to use a machine to do a specific task. There's, um, I mean, I suppose there, there, are, there are tasks where, you, where the user doesn't quite understand exactly what they need, uh, which is not fully a natural conversation, but there has to be an exchange that leads to an understanding of what the bot should tell you. Um, and so I've done some work recently on a, on a project which um, relates to giving advice effectively. Uh, and, and ultimately it needs to know the situation you're in before it can give you the right advice. Yeah, that's um, fair. <laughs> advice is always a tricky one. Like I think advice is hard as well. Because if you give the wrong advice, that is a bad thing. Mm. Um, and it's kind of, it comes down to this whole AI thing as well. Like AI is all around learning. Well, it's, AI is intelligence. Intelligence is learning. If a machine can learn for itself, you lose control. Do you want a machine to learn for itself to respond on your behalf? Really? No. Like you, you want to be in full control. You want to script the responses, and and, and not when giving advice, which is quite of a specific nature. Right. And actually, there is a right answer. Right. There's not a. There's not a programmatically or, or automatically learn answer. There is a definite answer. Um, and really what we want to go is, you're, you're this, so you match this exact answer. Right. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, you look at things like 
Um, I don't know if I can say her name. I call her the lady in the corner of my room, which is Alexa. Um, and uh, she's muted. Don't she worry. is muted. So we might turn her on later. Right. Well, so with them, like you, the first time you get one, you spend the first thirty seconds trying to see how far you can push it. Sure. You ask it random questions, and then you get bored of asking it random questions, and then you use it to perform tasks. I like. I love it. It, it turns on my lights. It, I play the music through it. Like there's loads of things that I use it for. But you do have to say things in a specific way now yeah. sure maybe one day you won't have to but honestly that doesn't mean that they're not useful now great kitchen assistant timers right. and the radio oh yeah. yeah my timer is great when i uh, when i set a timer all my lights flash like the whole lights in the room flash it's brilliant so putting me to shame in my our section earlier about what i've automated in my house clearly but um i don't know the way i see alexa right now a bit like siri and all the other options it's kind of just like a voice interface sure. to control things, you know? Like yeah. a really good voice interface. Like for me, what's, what Alexa represents is the best sort of speech to programmatic interface that anyone's ever created in that it understands me talking at a pretty normal speed in a pretty normal way. And like you say, you know, when I, when I shout Alexa stop at my timer, I, I do it at a speed that I would not shout sit stop if you were going off on the wrong track on this podcast, for example. So it, it's not quite there, is it? But it's, it's the closest they've got. One of the other interesting things that we're finding with bots, especially on Messenger, is that actually typing on phones is hard right but on messenger yeah. you've got loads of buttons and actually they've just introduced so they announced on uh, thursday the next version of messenger platform 1.4 and in 1.4 as a bot developer you can disable text input wow and they have a whole new menu system with subnavs like it's it is creating apps on messenger it's just that they're calling them bots so that's a really interesting uh, feature edition, particularly for the likes of you guys, I, w- I would assume. So yeah. was there anything else in that major release that really caught your interest? There was a lot of stats APIs and things like that, but ultimately it was disabling the text input and uh, having in the whole new menu system. So they had, they've had they had a menu system for a while, but it's quite no one really knows about it. It's quite hard. But um, I think it's... So today I've had a meeting with a, a major broadcaster and they are worried about people sending in random text messages and screenshotting. So we're talking about maybe disabling the text input, like, but at the same time, to still being able to deliver and access content and perform tasks. Yeah, it's interesting, that move to sort of ta- performance of tasks rather than just sort of chatting for no reason, which I suppose is, it's like the frivolous start of something while people get their head around the idea uh, and have lots of sort of fruitless conversations that they're then disappointed with. Uh, and then uh, gradually, it's kind of like a hype curve conversation. Then yeah. Yeah, totally, and we're way part. Like this has been a super fast hype curve. It's amazing. Like we are, we've we've kind of already coming out the other side of the uh, the trough of disillusionment, where um, people have already started to say that chatbots are no bots are dead. Personally, I say that chatbots are dead. Like you don't want to chat with a bot, but you do want to use them. I think one thing that I found interesting was, um, and this is, I suppose this is interesting. We've done some, uh, we've prototyped a bot recently and uh, done user testing with it with the target audience. And in this circumstance, it was the advice-related one I mentioned earlier. People were um, particularly keen to use it because they knew it wasn't a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That off, that does happen quite often. And so I was chatting with someone the other day who was like, "Why is there suddenly this uptake on bots? Not that long ago, people wanted to speak with humans." I was like, "No, no one's ever wanted to speak with humans." But ultimately, in the on the phone systems, it was a lot easier to get your. You want to complete a task as quickly and easy as possible. I think that's our pull quote. No one has ever wanted to speak. With you. <laughs> yeah, maybe we've got our, our, our episode title as well. But um, 
do you use an ATM or do you go and stand in the queue? Oh, absolutely. And I, look, I think you're absolutely right. And, and the thing that's interesting about that as well, just to add, sorry, Jim, to cut across to you, is that I think the three of us in this room are kind of about as old as people get who are at the front of this generational change where technology is the norm for us and it's what we want to consume and it's the way we want to interact with things. But actually, I think that that desire has been around forever. It's just that those of us in this room and, and out there listening are more if they were technology. So it just came more naturally to us to use these options as they became available. But actually, you know, I have a very techie grandmother and she's exactly the same. She would much rather use a piece of technology to get to the point quickly and easily and not have to ring somebody up or go through some convoluted process. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting debate. Yeah, there's a couple of things there that, 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 that sort of spring to mind. Firstly, last week, um, I needed to change my address at two banks. And this is still a process where I have to download a form, fill it in, and I posted it. And I then received rejection letters from both banks saying awesome. that the form I posted and signed hadn't met their security requirements. And so the sort of desire for me to have some sort of verified identity with which I can just tell them I've moved house is, is big. Well, I suppose, yeah, I guess, how, how can it be that, that some things have advanced so much uh, and yet we still can't change our address uh, online at our bank? It depends on where you are and which country you're in, unfortunately. So I actually live in Austria and um, I moved house about a year and a half ago. I was in the pub having a drink with my bank manager and I told him that I'd moved house. And he said, oh, cool. Then the next day I went into the bank to change over my address and he had already changed it to my new address. So, I mean, it does depend on where you are. A human interaction there that really works. That's great. Relationships are always great. I looked at a project for Age UK um, and they have a a system where people can volunteer to speak to an older person that's uh, lonely. Nice. And that uses that kind of technology to create this relationship between people where a human interaction is what you want. Sure. uh, But it's done in a sort of safe and controlled way and it's scheduled and things using the latest technology. The thing that I loved about Twilio and why I... So I was there for 18 months and they enable you to do communications um like and and in a great way like text messages everyone reads every text message they get sent might be like if it's spam you still read it and actually that's exactly the same as messenger except you don't have to pay four cents per message like it's it's exactly the same thing like everyone uses it and it's it's a great form of communication and it is about communication and it's about messaging and that's what i think a lot of people do get wrong within their bots and chat bots especially we worked on a platform um a couple of years ago called we farm that um it's a knowledge sharing platform in the developing world and there was this piece of insight which was uh, in developing sort of world farmers knowledge spread less than three miles well wow. um, and it uses text messaging to uh, distribute questions and allow farmers to answer those questions so it's like a peer knowledge sharing capability but all executed over sms yeah um, it's a sort of those sort of some things that we take for granted perhaps in our ability to access information and things can be you know really difficult and different in other parts of the world data is expensive in a lot of places yeah it's um well it's so much where do we go from here i mean i think the the thing i really wanted to cross-examine you on a bit in a bit more detail sid was the some of the stuff i've seen from you on social and i kind of know personally that you feel quite strongly about about this ai point and about the hype around ai and and so on i mean those of us in technology understand that we are decades from true AI, right? And, you know, we have machine learning now, but ultimately it's pattern recognition and it's still a decision tree and it, it, you know, it's very programmed, albeit, you know, in some cases it can adapt its programming a little bit. Maybe, what are your thoughts on AI about the hype around it at the moment and some comments I've seen from you about 
that you know bots can't really succeed until this hype kind of dies down because it's it's kind of a blocker at the moment around people's expectations to be able to converse with a bot in that human way that maybe we're miles from still well you say how like with some that they can adapt their own process as they go that i would say is probably as close to ai as we've got most people are not doing that and most people do not need to do that because even that's still very hard to do albeit possible it's possible i suppose there is there's certain things out there that um that uh pretty smart like um inferencing engines so if um if you use the word brother and it's known that you're female uh, instantly it's known that you're a sister it's inferencing is possible now but 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 maybe the next level is but that's just a boolean tree that's like if sex equals female and statement contains brother then must be a sister. It, it, it is, but I suppose the, there's, there's there's some engines that built built up that sort of um, uh, no large swathes of those things based on data sources. I guess so. Owl is an open source one um, that, that that does that kind of stuff. So yeah, absolutely. It's sort of it is a decision tree, but uh, people have written some big chunks of software that help you build that into things you're making. Absolutely. I mean, like there are loads of CRM systems that are great with regards to that kind of thing, but actually they've been doing it for years, but they've never once claim that they're an AI CRM system. Now, now they would, right? Now, <laughs> yeah. Some people would, yeah, and I think that's that, that is a big problem. We've this got. is the first AI podcast. We, we haven't worked out quite why yet, but it's a good buzzword. For is the, the whole yeah. podcast around AI? In which case, I probably shouldn't be slating AI <laughs> as much as no, I No, am. no, not it's at all. Not. It's how technology is impacting but, people's lives, really. Well, so there was, I was at a conference last week, I was speaking at a conference last week in Oslo, and um, I was on a panel all around AI, and I was sat there shaking my head the whole time, um, being surrounded by people that are very knowledgeable in their areas, but um, using, banding about the, 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 the phrase as though it's something you can just plug in. And there was one lady who was showing me that in the last year, I think there's been three times as many AI conferences. And so that was something stupid, like 4,000 AI conferences. And then she told me that in Norway, there are 10 people that have got a PhD in AI. And you're there going, right, so like, what, where are these people that are AI experts? There aren't that many of them. Like in the whole world, there aren't that many people that sure. are actually doing AI, yet there are thousands and thousands of people pretending to do AI. Like a lot of our, our competitors claim to be using AI when they're not at all in any way, shape or form. Are you saying, said that this is the social media guru of 2017? The AI expert? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I used to be one of those. Um, <laughs> so t- taking this completely off this topic now and going somewhere else, um, this week I, I saw a little video in, in one of my social media feeds, uh, given the, uh, the, the, the social media guru reference, of uh, someone's case following them through an airport. I uh, saw that. Was that's it, great. Was it the, the big round one that sort of rolled along behind them? Yeah, and it followed you upstairs and also... And I suppose, um, let's just go super simple on this, is that a thing that you would want? Yeah, there are times that I would totally want that. So I was walking back from my hotel to a train station the other day in Oslo, pretty hungover, and I was carrying, pulling my suitcase along with me. And you know what? It would have felt great not to have to pull that suitcase along with me. And if your suitcase had a conversational interface... Would um... I want to chat with my suitcase? <laughs> No. How is your hangover, Sid? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine anything worse than a machine trying to cheer you up because you've got a hangover? Well, have you, have you, oh. seen, have you seen in Japan, they've, um, they've launched those hospitality bots in some hotels that do exactly that. They try and ascertain your state of mind and then sing you a little song or smile at you on their little iPad screen. I mean, it's... it's 
just very bizarre to me, I think, that anyone would find that endearing, but... I used to walk past a, a home. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna use the word a home because uh, I'm not sure what the like lovely people, but a home. And uh, there was a guy there. Every time I walked past, he would knock on the window and he'd give me a wave and a smile. And you know what? That always brightened up my day. So I can see that that side of it. But it, I think it, if it was a robot, I don't think it would have brightened up my day quite as much. Interesting. Despite, but then we go full circle, don't we? Back to. The Guardian pushing you the right news in your feed, the way you want it, does brighten up your day. So it's interesting, isn't it, how technology definitely has the capability to do it, but but the answer isn't necessarily to try and replicate a human interaction. Actually, technology can cheer you up and improve your life in lots of ways without needing to talk to you like we're talking to each other now. I think it's the emotional side of things, and that's where machines do not have emotions. Now, one day... ah. Will they? I don't know. But until they have emotions, pretending they have emotions doesn't really work. So um, maybe let's go a little bit quickfire on a couple of things. So there's some topics of conversation um, that, that from, from earlier in the podcast. Um, uh, Bill Gates this week talked about taxing uh, bots. Or to, um, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, oh, uh, quickfire. Uh, I think it's a very strange... Where, where does that money come from? And then we're going to take you way off piece now. You, you're known for making a chat, a, a bot, I nearly said chat, <laughs> uh, a, a bot for Ollie Murs. Oh God, one of them, yeah. Um, and so what, what I want to know is, um, are these lyrics Ollie Murs lyrics or not Ollie Murs lyrics? All right, let's um, do this. We've got one chance and I want it badly. Is that Ollie Lyric. Murs? Lyric. Ollie Murs. That's an Ollie. Correct. I wish I had a sound effect for that. <laughs> well, that's later. Uh, drinking fast, then we talk slow. No, not a chance. We talk slow. No, that's not Ollie Murs, is it? It's not. It's Ed Sheeran. There we go. Knew He's it. He's good. He's good. <laughs> Why does it feel so good but hurt so bad? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I can imagine that being Ollie Murs. Is it? Troublemaker. <laughs> is okay, so is yes, that an Ollie Murs track? Ollie okay, Murs. cool. Yeah, so great. Had, the first one was Kiss Me. Uh, the second one was Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. The, the third one was Troublemaker uh, by Ollie Murs. You're 100% correct. So talking of Kiss Me, so uh, I know that that is from his uh, latest album. And uh, while we were making, well, while we were testing his bot, my girlfriend discovered that she had a crush on Ollie Murs when uh, she sent him a message and he replied with a gif blowing a kiss at her. Amazing. Uh-huh. What uh, have you created? I know. <laughs> so that, that did evoke emotion. It did, you're right, that did evoke emotion. <laughs> so, you know, we come full circle on that conversation. <laughs> well, indeed. So, um, well, look, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for today, but it's been absolutely great having Sid with us. Sid, what would your final thoughts be? What, what should people look out for? Is there anything you're really excited about, other than the amazing bots that people will be building with your platform, of course? Uh, no, um, I, I'm going to continue to look out for the the, uh, the snake oil salesman is what I'm going to be looking out for. I think if someone is promising AI and uh, make sure they are actually delivering uh, or make sure that they're not promising AI. So can we coin that here? The AI guru? Is that, is that a thing? I think, uh, I think we, what we need to do is get one mocked up in Photoshop. <laughs> Well, um, I'm sure that could be achieved. Do you have anything you done? Um, I think no. Just thank you so much for, for joining us, uh, and yeah, really fascinating conversation. And uh, looking forward, I want to I want to see how easy it is to use your platform. I wonder if we could build a bot for the show. I think that's a great idea. Why don't we try that for for next time and see if we can share it with some listeners and, and well, try and get some emotion into it somehow, or at least a gif with kisses. Is what we've learned from today? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And as we said earlier on, cats obviously make anything on the internet better, so we'll get a cat in there somewhere and we're on to a winner. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Pleasure.
pleasure. Thank you. Alexa, stop. A podcast about how technology is changing our lives with Robert Belgrave and Jim Bowles.